Hello, and welcome to Ready for Love Radio. I'm your host, Nikki Lee, and we did a show earlier with A.D. Burks, and we talked about uh, sex addiction. And me being the eternal skeptic, I had to ask some questions about that and kind of get a, a better perspective on what makes a person not just very interested in sex, but to, to tip it over the edge and, and say they could actually have an addiction. But today we're going to talk in more detail about uh, his personal experience and about the book that he's written about that to share it and just get some more information about how people can, can understand more about sex addiction. A.D., it's great to have you back. Thanks so much for having me. Tell me, why did you get into the love and relationship field? That's, it's, kind of, it's an interesting field, but it's not something that just everybody gets into. I think not everybody has the guts to get into into it. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that definitely I didn't choose. I think it was sort of a calling. I had a dream uh, when I was heavy into my sex addiction. And basically in that dream, God was calling me out of this, like, it's time to get stop doing this. And so from that dream, I woke up and then ended up writing sort of an outline for the book. And basically that's sort of what started all of it. You know, I think I think the people that are in any any kind of relationship kind of field, I think it, it picked all of us, you know. Yeah. I kind of fell into it, and then once I started studying, I, I started seeing changes in me, and I'm like, I've got, I've got to do this for other people. You know, if this can help yeah. me this much, what in the world can I do to help other people? It's so true that I have friends, they're like, okay, well, you know, we use you, I, your experiences to help us. I said, that's the whole point because right. if I'm going through it and it can either help someone not go through it or it can use, be used to help benefit someone, that's always the point of going through life. I try to I try to learn through other people's mistakes instead of making them myself. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And I figure other people could do that through the mistakes that I make and the things that I learn. So I'm very big on establishing and building credibility. That's a big thing mm-hmm. that, that I always do with clients and with uh, people that I'm interviewing. So tell me, what are your qualifications and why why should we listen to what you have to say about sex addiction? Well, well I, I would say you should listen to what I have to say is because I um, – was diagnosed as a recovered sex addict by a certified sex addiction therapist. And my addiction sort of ran, of course, for almost 12 years. And I, I say I, I understand personally what addicts are going through because I, I went through it. That does, once, once you've lived it, that certainly does make a difference. Absolutely. You know, theory, as a, I'm a chemist under, as well as an MBA, and you know, we can always understand theory, but until you actually get in the lab and make something, it's all different. Very true. Well, that's like, it's, it's, I've always found it funny, the people that, because I've, I've never been to college. I have just have worked full-time and, and mm-hmm. you know, have years and years of experience in, in promotions and business management and that kind of thing. But it's always cracked me up, the people that, that have the degrees in marketing that come to me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, people, you know. That's okay. the experience you know. always was much more than the theory. Exactly, exactly. Reading in the books one thing, but you know what? Experiencing it is a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. So tell us what kind of contributions uh, you feel like you can make and have made to what I like to call the, the sex-positive community, people that, that are more open-minded and looking for ways to help people with their relationships and, and that sort of thing. Well, I go back sort of 
what this whole journey, 12 years, culminated with is basically my four steps. And, you know, to me, these four steps will help you break, whether it's sex addiction, you know, or any addiction. It goes back to step one is establishing or, or reestablishing your relationship with God. Step two, abstaining from sex or the food. You can't totally abstain from food, but abstain from things that aren't healthy. You're abstaining from gambling, drugs, alcohol. So that's step two. Step three is basically changing your environment. So once you're aware of what your triggers are and what's going to make you want to go back and act out if it's sexually, staying away from those environments, those people, those places, those things. And then, of course, the last step is step four, establishing a support network because until you have a people you can go to or a person at least that you can go to and say, hey, this is what I'm going through, I need your support, then, you know, it, it serves as a place of accountability for you as well as support. Yeah, something, something I meant to ask and I forgot earlier. Explain what you mean by triggers because that's very important for people dealing with, with any kind of a problem. Right. So in regards to my personal sex addiction, a big trigger for me was watching porn because I'm a type A personality. You know, once I see something, I'm like, why am I sitting here watching it? Why should I should be out there doing it? I hate to say it, but that, that was my mindset during the addiction. It was like, hey, they're up here having sex with more than one person. Why shouldn't I? Not realizing the effects that it was having on me, which was doing nothing but getting me further and further along and deeper into the addiction. So for me, you know, porn was a trigger. It could be something as simply as, you know, going to a certain club, you know, certain environments. There, there are people that are all looking for the same thing or dealing with the same issue. So if you're around, you know, if you're, if you're a crack addict and you go to a crack house, what, 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 what do you think is going to happen? You're going to be smoking crack pretty soon. Right. So it's very key to understand your individual triggers, and they, they, they're, they're going to vary from person to person. They might be similar, but the reality is you need to know your exact triggers because someone, let's say, could look at just a TV show that's maybe R-rated or a movie that's R-rated, and then that's a trigger for them versus someone else could even see a major pornographic image and still not want to act out. So you've got to be very specific for yourself and it goes back to knowing yourself and being honest with yourself. Well, and, and there's certain things we can see and do and that kind of thing that that don't motivate us to have to do something about it. We can just it can right. just be entertainment, you know. Yeah. Other times, there's other things that. Well, and I hadn't thought about this before, but it just hit me that that could be the same kind of thing as far as you know the uh, the debate about the school shootings and that sort of thing. While some people may be able to play super violent video games and be fine, other people it may motivate yep. them. They have to do something about it. You know, so exactly. it's the same. We all need to know what what motivates us to have to act and what we can just see and absorb and be okay with. Interesting. That's not an easy process because you know we're creatures of habit and we just get in the habit of doing things, doing things, not realizing okay what's contributing to us, what's causing us to do that. Well, that's, that's why you need that qualified help <laughs> to figure out right. what the problem is. But sometimes you, know, you can still figure it out without it or have a natural intuition. And I think at the end of the day, you know if you're doing something that, mm, that's a little kind of shady. Right, right. Well, and that's, that's something I do in, in my, my 12-part program about, you know, loving and accepting yourself is, is to help people look into things and, and try to identify, you know, whether it's, it's – um, 
bad habits that we're making over and over again, whether it's, it's patterns we've gotten ourselves into, to, mm-hmm. to identify what is causing us a problem. You know, because once, right. once you identify the problems or the triggers or the temptations, you know, whatever, you know, you want to call them, that is a huge step in the right direction to, to getting more healthy. Exactly. So in, in, if you had to boil it down, kind of like your elevator pitch, if you had to in a couple of sentences uh, describe what you do and how you help people, what, what would you, how would you do that in two or three sentences? I would say what I do is try to provide hope for people who are struggling with addiction, especially sex addiction, to one, know that they can break the addiction, and by using the four steps, it can serve as a means to break it as well as hopefully give them insight into finding the help they need to get to the root problem because it goes always back to what's causing the addiction. Addiction is basically the pain, and the key is finding the source of the pain and treating that. What about what about in... You know, I, I know a lot. Part of the thing with addiction is, is it makes you feel so good. You know, when you do certain things. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. it's eating that great big huge banana split you shouldn't have, or whether it's having sex with a really really hot guy. You know, in in the in the club or whatever it may be, it mm-hmm. feels so good. So right. in the moment, at least it does. So yeah. how how does a person get from the but it feels so good when I do it to it's, it's not good for me even though I've got that immediate high from it. I, I think it goes back to sex not equaling, equaling love or eating that chocolate cake. At the end of the day, you're still wanting to feel loved. And, yeah, that chocolate cake was good, and, yeah, that sex with that hot guy was good, but it was only temporary. And after that high comes down and you realize you're still at the same point you were before you had that cake, before you had that sex, that's when realization comes to, you know, comes into play. I think part of the problem, too, is, is we've become such an immediate gratification kind of society. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people, you know, like when you, when you tell kids that we used to go to the grocery store and not call home and ask questions. You know, <laughs> you know we, we actually went to school and we weren't in touch with anybody all day, you know, and, and you didn't send a text to so-and-so across the hall, you know. It, they, they just, they look at you like you're crazy, <laughs> you know. But, but we used to be able to go do things, and, you know, we didn't have to talk to somebody every 20 minutes. You know, we, we understood they were our friend, and we were okay with that, and we went on with the other things in our life, you know, and then talked to them in the evening when we got home, and we had a phone close by, you know. But it's... I think so many people just don't understand you don't have to have the answer right this second. You don't have to be in touch with that person right this instant, you know. And, and I think it causes that we don't have as close a friendship because we, we kind of, people get to the point where they, they depend on, they have to be in touch on Facebook 20 times a day with somebody, you know, or they have to share every little stupid thing that happens to them, whether anybody cares or not. You know, it just it's weird how the technology has so many awesome things, benefits for us, but it's also caused a lot of really strange things that I think are, are making it so people and their relationships and whatever just aren't the same anymore, you know? Right. Well, and I think it goes back down to it, those people, and that's an addiction itself, people that stay on Facebook, but let's go back to it. People that are staying on Facebook and all the social media nonstop is because what? They still don't feel love. And until you feel love, you're going to do whatever it takes to feel it. 
and and as and, you know, you basically using substitutes. As you mentioned, you know, technology can be great. It can be a blessing or it can be a curse. And if you don't understand the use of it, I'll never forget years ago before I taught, a, a friend of mine, his brother didn't know how to add and subtract. I was like, are you kidding me? He was like, oh, I just use the, the calculator. I'm like, wow. And at the end of the day, you know, we, we create all these things for shortcuts, but if you don't understand, you know, the knowledge behind it, it's worthless. Because well, what happens when that, that work a cash register and can't make change if the machine doesn't tell them what it is? Yep. It's like, really? <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from with that. Mm-hmm. So once, once you started seeing what and realizing what can make a difference for people and you know, after going through the school of hard knocks that we all went through for different things, what is there any additional training or research that you want to do? Because I know I, I've completed my, my love coach training, and, I mean, 32 courses is, is not a small to-do to get through, but there's no. all these things that I wanted to research and learn more about and that sort of thing. Did you have the same sort of thing with what you were doing? That It's like, okay, I've been through this, and I've, and I've learned through the experiences and this sort of thing, but there's more I need to help people in a more complete sort of way. Yeah, I think I I have a natural gift of wanting to learn. And so as I go back to what was the root of this, not feeling loved and wanting a family, I found out, you know, that sex addiction and love addiction sort of run parallel. So, you know, you have to understand what's causing everything. And so a need for love is what's calling, causing the addiction itself for, of sex. So, as, you know, as I keep progressing, I'm reading more and more information about, you know, love addiction. I'm looking, reading information about just things that build us up personally. Because at the end of the day, if you aren't happy with yourself, you're never going to be happy with anyone. So things that are going to build you, me personally, spiritually, mentally, Emotionally, those are the things I keep adding to I say, adding to the repertoire. Part part of that is the message with with my Love Yourself program is if you don't love you, you're not in a position to love another person. You know, right? And and it kind of it kind of hit me one day when I was doing a radio interview is if if you are in a relationship with somebody and you're insisting they give you unconditional love, but you can't give it to yourself, you're being kind of hypocritical. Yep. Yeah, and and I'm not yeah. saying it's easy. There there are things that we, each of us don't like about ourselves, and we may want to change or work on that sort of thing. But and that's that's why the program is love, accept and respect yourself. And I think not mm-hmm. respecting yourself is a big issue with the whole sex not equaling love kind of thing. Is if if you don't respect yourself, you're kind of more open to being treated bad by other people, whether it's being used Absolutely. for sex or whatever, because you, you don't think you deserve any better, which is bad, you know. And, and, and that no usually else. is, that can be un- unconscious as well, because you, mm-hmm. you look at the, the sex addict and what feeds sex addiction is ego. And, you know, the reason, as I say, why I was such a great addict is because of my confidence. But unconsciously, I'm thinking, okay, because I want to have a family with a man, I can't 
you know, in religion is saying that this isn't acceptable, well, there was a part of me that wasn't loving me fully. And until I was able to fully love myself, then I could add someone to it, as you said, because at the end of the day, it's not another person's responsibility to make you happy. And I think there a lot of people go. in relationships, yeah, are in relationships because, okay, if I get with this person, I'm going to feel happy. They look good. They have this money. Whatever it is about that person that makes them feel good about themselves is the reason they're in a relationship versus this person helps me along my journey and I help them along their journey. And there's an actual spiritual connection because you can always give somebody for the looks or the money or whatever, but at the end of the day, all of that is stripped away where is there any real spiritual connection? Very true. Well, and, and the, it's it's a really simple little saying, but it's it's very involved. Is don't be with somebody that completes you. Be with somebody that complements you. You shouldn't Absolutely. need another person to complete you, but finding a person that complements you—that's incredible. Oh yeah, and it takes work. <laughs> it, it it does, and that's the biggest thing. People think that relationships aren't work. Oh, if I'm in the right relationship, it should just flow. No, that's. That is crazy. Everything requires work. <laughs> it does. Even even if even if you resonate and you click and, and you're in sync on every level, it still takes work, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and so many and people, they love the, the initial high of, of, quote, unquote, falling in love, but they don't realize you, you're not going to have that high the entire time you're together, you know, and you should. Oh, no. You know, you're going to get into a place where you've got the intimacy, you've got the love, you should still have the passion, but you're you're not going to have that that euphoric high that you had initially, and, and like I said, it's not healthy to have that the whole time. Right, and that's actually part of love addiction at some some level, to where you keep wanting to have that high with the person after right. person, and it's like that's not sustainable. Very true. It's it's interesting how our, our two programs are so radically different, but hit on so many of the same points. Oh yeah, everything as I say always ends up when you get back to the root of it, connecting. Very true. So what's, what's been the toughest thing about your work for you? The toughest thing, I guess, is the people that I love and having to deal with their, you know, responses because I'm a, I can be very curt and short with people that, you know, I'm not connected to. And then, and so I, I can take criticism from people that are just out in the, out in the street. As my mom always said, they don't pay your bills. Don't worry about it. But it's the people that I actually have love for. And, you know, putting this book out was a big thing because my mom was totally against it. I say in 36 years of my life, this was the only thing she didn't support. And that was the hardest thing. And she was like, you know, this isn't good for you. It's going to hurt you. And she was trying to protect me because I'm I'm very candid in in the book. I don't hold anything back. And I do that, you know, not to boast about what I did, but more so people can see themselves in it. I, I really believe if you aren't able to see yourself in something, you'll dismiss it. But if you can look, read something and say, okay, that's me, your whole thought process is surrounding what's said in that dialogue and discussion is going to change. So I guess the hardest thing was sort of having to go against people that I truly loved and I knew truly loved me, not wanting me to, quote, unquote, expose myself. Right. Very true. Well, in, in writing a book, and especially if you're writing 
you know, a lot of times I'll I'll use elements from my life, from my personality. I mean, my personality is all over my characters and my novels, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> especially the really spunky ones and hard-headed yeah. ones. But it's it's a hard <laughs> enough process with support. So trying to do yeah. it when when the people closest to you don't support it, that's you know it, that's so much more difficult. Yeah. But. Well, and, and you are very candid. Like I said, I haven't finished the entire book yet, but the part I have read, you, you are brutally honest about things. Why why did you choose to do it that way? Because you could have sugarcoated it. Yeah, I mean, actually, it goes back to who I am as a person. You know, as a, you know, only child and my mom, you know, raising me not to, you know, fear. is like, you be you, and, and I, I, that's the only way I would be able to write in terms of I'm a very open person, sometimes open to a detriment. But me, me trying to be someone I'm not, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have occurred because I think, I think that's why God gives certain people certain assignments, and I think this was definitely an assignment by him to help other people. Very true. Well, and, and like I said, I totally, totally get the, you know, putting it out there in, in such a way that, that people can see themselves in it. Because it's 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 such an awesome moment for them and for for us as the the authors when somebody just clicks that much with what we're reading, you know. Oh yeah. It, it's I like, never you know, did. Well, and, and you know, people people that can't handle criticism should not write. <laughs> you know? Because especially especially when you're writing about yourself, because I mean, you're you're putting yourself out there. It's I I shared a, a thing on Facebook the other day. This is you know. Putting putting your creative stuff out there is like standing on a stage naked and asking for opinions. You know, you're putting your whole whether, whether you're clothes or not, you're putting your entire self out there and saying, "Absolutely, this this is it." This I mean, it's truly, I mean, it's the birth of something. You know, when you when you put a book out there and, and you're you're sharing your personal experiences and, and your thoughts and all this sort of thing. I mean, you're putting your stuff out there in a way. People that don't do it can never understand what it's like. Exactly. And that's, it, it, that's it really why, is. I mean, we, we know that you're going to get crappy reviews sometimes. It's going to happen. It happens to everybody. But, you know, it's, it's on such a personal level, and, and you just got to, I mean, it, it's kind of crude, but you got to suck it up. You know, you're putting it out exactly. there. Everybody, I don't care how awesome you are, everybody is not going to like it. You know, so put mm-hmm. it out there and and see what resonates. And the more you put yourself out there, the more chance you've got it's going to resonate with people and it's going to help them, which that's the yeah. and, and that's one of the most rewarding things when, I, when I, I'll, I'll go to a book signing or someone will I'll do a speaking engagement and they'll be like, thank you so much for writing this book. I need that this. And, and it's like, that's why I wrote the book, as I say. That's it. Because it's nothing worse to be – Especially as I look back on those twelve years, what you know, everybody was like, "Well, what, what was when you go to therapy?" It was like, "Well, what brought you here?" And it wasn't a catastrophic moment. Like when you think of addictions, you think of, "Okay, I almost got put in jail. I almost lost my life." For me, the biggest thing that was driving me was wanting a family. Because as an only child, you know, if both my parents got are out of here. I'm not, I'm by, by myself. So I'm like, okay, I've got to do what it's going to take for me to align myself and prepare myself for a family. And acting out sexually and being a sex addict isn't going to do it. So that's sort of what drove me to therapy. So when I hear people come back and say, I'm so glad you wrote this, this is where I am, I know the hopelessness that they feel and then to know that, okay, I can 
achieve what I want in terms of my life and being able to be in a healthy relationship that's providing, you know, me spiritual, you know, satisfaction and everything else that I would want in a relationship if possible. I don't have to keep going down the road of being an addict and just having sex and having sex with all these random people never establishing a true relationship. Well, the thing is, if what you ultimately wanted was a loving relationship and a family and children, yep. you weren't doing anything to pursue that goal. Exactly. You know? So, I mean, you you gotta you got to be honest to yourself and respect yourself and say, you know, this is what I want. What do I have to do to get there? Because exactly. what we want Everybody, is to fall in our lap. Yeah. Everybody wants the reward but doesn't want to do the work it takes to get it. There you go. That's it. That sums it up very well. <laughs> so... So what what sort of an exercise could you give people to do if they just kind of want to gauge where they are with their, their attitude sexually? I think you've got a test well, on your website. I do. If you go to the, the book's website, which is www.sexsurrender.com, I have a tab and on there it says the sex test, and it's 14 questions that I've sort of come up with that sort of gives sort of the behavior I saw in myself as well as other sex addicts, you know, from watching porn to going to video stores to feeling regret after you had sex. That's part of the whole sex addiction cycle. And though I think that questionnaire will give you some good insights. And on there, after you finish the questionnaire, I have a list of uh, helpful resources. So reading the book, Hook, going to different sex addicts, anonymous uh, group sessions and stuff, other books as well and helpful resources that really help you because the biggest thing that you don't want to do as an addict is feel like you're alone. All that does is drive you further and further into the addiction because for the longest time, even though I was aware this was an addiction, I wouldn't talk about it. I talked about everything else, but I wouldn't talk about this. And that isolation is what keeps the addiction going. Sometimes it's just so much easier to skirt around certain things. Oh, yeah. I understand that. I really do. You know what I'll do, too, is, is one of the questions I asked was, who is your favorite type of client? And you said, somebody with an open mind. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It, well, it's true because, you know, there, until you're open to receive something that you haven't received, you can't get anywhere. I mean, what's the definition of insanity? You're doing the same thing over and over. So if I keep doing the same thing over and over, yet I expect different results, crazy. But if you're open and saying, okay, I don't know it all. So let me at least be open to experience. And it might work, it might not. But until you really allow yourself to be open, then you'll be able to receive something new. Well, it, it, that's it. you said somebody that's open, not closed-minded, and somebody who's honest with themselves. That's, that's what I tell people about my program. You know, and, and I even tell people in the program, because I've got lots and lots of questions and in, in, workbook kind of thing for them to do and I'm like mm-hmm. you know get a notebook get a three ring binder and and work through all of them be brutally honest with yourself or as honest as you can stand to be at that point you know and, <laughs> and don't let anybody else read it but be honest with yourself because if you're not honest you're not going to get anywhere yeah you know like like if you're trying to make excuses for yourself and say well I'm doing this because it's so and so's fault and, and well okay that may be the case but you still got to say, I'm doing it, it's wrong, I got to fix it. Right, and, and, and I hate, you know, when people always say, well, you did this, and because you did this, I did this. 
okay, what happens when you just say, the person that I am, I'm choosing not to do this. So if you choose to smoke crack, I'm not going to choose to smoke crack. I've made the decision. I'm not doing that, whether you do it or not. At the end of the day, the only person that can change you is you. Well, I think I think we got people thinking, got the wheels turning, which is always a good Great. thing. So how can yeah. they find more information about you and about your book? Well, they can, once again, go to the website for the book, which is www.sexxsurrender.com. They can go to my personal website. Uh, website, which is adburks.com. They also can follow me on Twitter. I really I like the, my Twitter because I usually send something inspirational each day. Like one of the ones I had recently was don't make assumptions. Everything starts and ends with clear communication. So if they follow me on Twitter, my handle is at adburksauthor. And then there's also Facebook pages, adburks as well as Sex and Surrender. So, yeah. A.D., I appreciate you being with me today. And, folks, are you ready for love? <laughs>